Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Me on here? Okay, very good. It's nice to see all of you here today. I know the Super Bowl is tonight. We've got more than, more than a few Patriots fans here, myself included. So what I'm going to try and do with this message is I shortened it up a little bit so I can get you all home by 6.30. <laughs> Wait, maybe, no, no, 6 o'clock. I'll, I'll give you time to cook your chicken wings too, okay? See, see what I can do. Now, we're going to be jumping around a bit in the Bible today, so get your fingers ready to flip the pages. That's one of those lessons, not like a one-place lesson. But uh, I've got some pictures I'd like to show you first. Now, there's the first one already. Has everybody seen this before? You might not have seen it on, like a, on a wall outside. It's kind of an old one, uh, but uh, in a movie, perhaps. So... For anybody too young to have ever seen one, maybe, uh, they, uh, they use these to recruit troops, right? Before they had commercials on TV, you know? Uh, and it's Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam kind of represents the government or he represents the country in general. And he wants you to join the armed forces, according to this poster. And the reason I have this up here is that I wanted to ask the question, did the government just want young men and women to sign up or did they need them to? They needed them to, right? I think that the very fact that there are recruitment posters and that the government has recruiters and they have advertising funds and everything, that, that tells us everything we need to know. They, they need volunteers. They need troops. And, and we need them, you know? Uh, but wanting, wanting, like he's claiming to want you, and needing are different things, right? I want to sleep in tomorrow after I watch the game, but I need to go to work so I can keep... <laughs> providing for my family. So I'll get up and I'll drag myself in there and try and make the best of it, <laughs> whether I'm celebrating or very sad. So, <laughs> so wanting and needing are different. And we, we, we are, as a country, we need men and women to enlist and protect us. So believe me, I am glad that there are recruiters out there. Make no mistake about that. I'm glad that there's advertising. I'm glad that Things like this are there, and, and, and even better ways to get people to enlist, because we need people to protect us. We need to have enough brave young and women serving in the military, and I'm th very thankful for them. Um, but uh, the guy doesn't just want you. He needs you. And uh, I, think, I think a poster that says your country needs you might even be more effective than the, your country wants you, because that might invoke the sense of duty. And the, the British seem to have figured that out. This guy's also kind of angry and, angry and weird looking, isn't he? So you notice that he's not so much used anymore. The British figured it out. Britain, your country needs you, but their guy is equally weird and angry looking. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but he's, he's being more honest. They need them. So you'll see where I'm going with this in a few minutes. How about this next slide? Anybody here own a business or run a business, hire people? No? Okay. Well, if you did, when you put up a help wanted sign, it's not just because you want an extra person to give some of your money to and possibly have to pay their benefits and give them vacation time and everything. It's more like you need them to do some work. And uh, you can't do all the work yourself anymore, so you need some more help. You need, you need help. You don't put that on the sign, though. That makes them make, get very demanding. If you say help needed, then they, then they think they got you over a barrel and they can make all kinds of demands about... I need this day, that day, and that day off, right, right off the bat, you know. So you say help wanted. And uh, 
there's just a couple more of these I've got here. We won't just show slides all morning. We're going to open the Bible too. Wanted. Dead or alive. America's most wanted. These are, these are wanted posters, and they go back a long ways. Obviously, that one's very old, Billy the Kid. And then the FBI most wanted list. I found out while I was pulling up this picture that even the FBI's most wanted list is 60 years old already. They've been doing that for 60 years for America's Most Wanted. And they had the America's Most Wanted uh, TV program as well. Now, what do we want these guys for? What do we want them? Do we, want, we want to bring them to justice? And we need them in jail, right? The reason they offer rewards and have posters and everything is because we need to put these guys in jail so that our, our, we'll be safe. You know, and uh, these people that make the most wanted list are the most dangerous criminals that the FBI is looking for, and that's why they get put on the most wanted list. So they're the most wanted and the most needed to be in jail. So that's three pictures we've looked at, and all three of the wants so far have also been needs. How about this one? Now, this one I like. It's funny. Wanted singers in choir within. <laughs> We're getting a little closer to what I want to talk about today. But, um, <laughs> but I, I don't know if this church really needed choir singers or if they were just trying to find, think of a funny way to invite people to church. But uh, if they actually have a choir and they've got vacancies in their choir, you know, spots they need to fill. Well, I just said it. They need them, right? They need an alto. They need a baritone. They need a tenor. They need all these different kinds of voices. Otherwise, they're not going to sound that great as a choir. You know, you guys sound great, by the way. You're, you're good. Our choir, our choir sits in the seats, not in the robes. So, but these people, if they really do have a choir and they have openings, they need people to, to join. So that's four. Four wants that are also needs. This last one's a little different, though. In case you can't read it, you're on heaven's most wanted list. So they're talking about God wanting us, right? Heaven wanting us. Unlike all these other wants I've just talked about, this one is not a need. Don't get up and leave, though. <laughs> I need you to stay. Because if you think this is nerve-wracking for me, if people start leaving three minutes into it, that will make the rest of it very rocky indeed. I'll tell you right now. So I need you, even if I'm here to tell you that God doesn't need you. We all like to feel needed, don't we? What do we call it at work when we're the only one who can do this? What do we call that? Anybody? My job. Job security. That's exactly what I was looking for. And boy, I've got a lot of it at my work. A lot of job security. So <laughs> a lot of things that I'm the only one. That's not to brag. That's, they're all pains in the butt, really. But, um, <laughs> and how about any of you married guys out there? Isn't it nice when your wife needs you to open a jar because the lid's on too tight. I think that just, that just makes us feel like a big, strong man, right? That strokes our ego. And I really hate to burst our bubble, but I think that if we weren't there, our wives would figure it out. I know my wife, if she's got the day off, and I'm at work, and she wants a jar of salsa and some chips, she is not waiting till 5 o'clock to get that salsa. It's not happening. So I, I, I have seen the evidence with the open jars that she is able to open jars herself. But it's still nice to be asked, isn't it? Because we feel needed. It makes us feel more important to be needed. That's only natural. I don't know anybody that that's not true of. I've heard it, you know, speak parents, right? 
I've heard it from other parents, and I know it to be true myself, that there are some things I'm glad that my kids are getting older and they can do for themselves, but to some extent there's, there's little things that, that might sting and hurt that, to realize that they just don't need me as much as they used to when they were little, and they would come to me for every little thing that was wrong and uh, come and talk to me about it, and, and I would have to fix it for them. That, that, to realize that can be hard because we're not as needed, not in the same way as we used to be. It makes us feel more special when we're needed, more important. So we could take it as bad news that God doesn't need us. In fact, he doesn't need us at all. That makes me feel less special, you could say, you know. But, you know, I'd rather believe that God chose me to be one of his children because he had something he only could give to me. Only I could do it. I'm that special, right? I am special to him, but it's not because he, need, because he needs anything from me, really. Most of us probably wouldn't put it into words like that because it sounds so silly, you know, to say that God needs me. But I think sometimes we use that thought process anyway, even if we don't put it into words. Like, if I don't do this for God, who's going to do it? You know, unless we have any doubts about that, if, if, there's a, if we think there's anything that only we can do for God, let's look in the Bible and see what God will say about how he can deliver his messages without us. Uh, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. See, I've got all this printed out, but I'm going to turn along with you to make sure you have enough time to turn. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. You'll, you'll be behind. Now, a little background. Elijah... The prophet, he had had this great victory on Mount Carmel where God proved that God was the real God and not Baal. But then he had been threatened by Jezebel, the evil queen of Israel. She had promised to kill him. And so he had become afraid and he actually ran a long, long way away to go hide. And I think I actually used this passage the last time I spoke up here, but it's for a different reason today, so I think it's okay to double up here. Um, Let's read in verses 9 to 11 here. If I could just find it. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah was very discouraged, obviously. And he, was, he was the Lord's chosen servant to be the prophet right then. He was the main prophet in Israel. And he was very discouraged uh, by people wanting to kill him. I think that's only normal. Um, but he's hiding out in this cave in the desert. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights to get there. That's how far away from Jezebel he wanted to get. And when... Elijah reached the cave, and God saw that he needed someone to go encourage him. He did not send another prophet and make Elijah wait 40 days and 40 nights for his encouragement. God spoke to him directly. And after hearing Elijah's answer, God did something to encourage him. Picking it up in the middle of verse 11, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I should have changed that a while ago. There's Elijah. God passed in front of that cave and showed Elijah his power in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And then he showed his gentle care for Elijah by speaking to him in a gentle whisper. God is completely able to speak to us directly. And while we might be tempted to look at Elijah and say, but he was a prophet, I'm not a prophet, God's not going to talk to me like that. And we might point to the fact that God's never spoken to me like that. He hasn't spoken to me in that way audibly, like out loud where I can hear him. But do we really believe that God is limited in how often and what kind of people he can speak to directly? Do we think that if God wanted to, he couldn't talk to us wherever we are, just like he talked to Elijah? Like I said, I've never heard God speak that way, but I don't doubt that he can. But in our world today, he chooses more often than not to use his word, his Holy Spirit, and even other people to speak to us for him. But he could. He definitely could speak to us out loud, and, uh, and that would be something special. What else could God use if it wasn't for us? How about angels? Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Angels are mentioned throughout the whole of Scripture. Spiritual beings, God's messengers, God's servants. I could use a page-flipping angel myself. Okay. So these are the, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special verses, aren't they? And I, I love them. I, I mean, I love to hear that in there. I, I love it that there's no way for them to edit the scripture out of it and have it make any sense at all. So they have to just, the network TV just has to keep showing it every year, scripture and all. People would complain if they didn't show it, and so they, they keep showing it. And, uh, and people have the Bible on, on their Christmas special. That's great. Much better than, you know, Rudolph or anything like that. So let's read starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's good to hear every day of the year, isn't it? It's not just Christmas. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's us. We see that God not only has one angel, you know, we hear all the time, Gabriel the angel, my son Gabriel here, he knows all about him. Gabriel the angel is messenger, but God has a great company of heavenly hosts. In Revelation chapter 5, we see thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels praising the Lord. God has no shortage of angels in heaven. And the thing about angels, they're completely holy and completely obedient to Him. 
Throughout the Bible, they're used by God in various ways, delivering messages, rescuing people from destruction, carrying out God's judgment, defeating vast armies, shutting the mouths of lions, releasing prisoners, just to name a few. God could use angels to do just about anything that he uses us to do. And chances are that they would do a better job than us. But God chooses to use us. But that's just one more proof that God does not need us. He could use angels for all of this. And like I said, it might go better. One more example of this, just because it's such a unique illustration of what God could do if he didn't have us. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 22. This is a favorite in Sunday school, I think. Numbers chapter 22. It certainly makes for some fun crafts. Talking about Balaam and his donkey. We're going to start in verse 23. First background information, Balaam. Balaam here was a professional blesser and curser. He was a spiritual man that people would come and pay to do spiritual things for them. He could bless people. He could curse people if you paid the right price. He was not a true servant of God. And a king had sent messengers to hire Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites, God's people, because he was afraid of them. Of course, this was a bad idea. But, and after he did refuse to go the first time. He said God told him not to go, and he refused to go the first time. But then the king's messengers came back with more money, and he said, well, that's different. I'll, have to, I'll go ask God again if I can go. You know, he should have just taken the first answer. But God told him he could go this time, but God wasn't happy about it. And he said, you, you can only do what I command you to do. And so he got on his donkey in the morning and, and went to go meet the king and curse the Israelites. So starting in verse 23, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road and into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey like he had been talking to donkeys all his life. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. God wanted Balaam to know just how bad of a decision it was to make this journey at all. And he used an angel, which we already talked about, and his donkey to do it. God made a donkey speak. You know, in case we think anything is impossible for God. In case we think that God really needs us that much, God could use donkeys. A short while later, God would use Balaam himself, who was a pretty sleazy guy, as I said, to speak the Lord's blessing over his people. Wait, God can use an unbeliever? Yes, God can. Next time I'm tempted to think that God needs me 
or that he chooses to use me because I'm anything great, I'm going to try and remember that God used Balaam and God can use donkeys. So, maybe we think that God's too busy to do any, everything himself, and that's why he needs us. I had a coworker once tell me that God was too busy for all, all, all every prayer that you could, you could pray to him. She was asking me why I didn't pray to the Catholic saints. I told her that I think God can handle any prayer I have himself, so I just take my prayers directly to him. And then she said, but he's got to delegate. It's sad to see people limit God in this way, really, thinking that the creator of the universe is just the CEO of Heaven Incorporated and he needs to give some work to saints and some work to angels and some work to us in order for it all to get done. No, that's, that's a, it's just a random flowchart of a company. That's not how God works. God does give us things to do, but he doesn't need us to do them. And the reason for that is that God is infinite. There's no end to him. He's omnipotent. There's no end to his power. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So God doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need anyone. All these other things that I've talked about, the donkey, the angels, the prophets, he doesn't need any of them because he's God. And he chooses to use people. In Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And that tells us all we need to know about what God needs from us. Nothing. Now, if I were listening to this, if I were one of you sitting out there, I might be thinking, wow, what an encouraging message, Patrick. I am very unnecessary. (laughs) When's Pastor Rich coming back again? (laughs) But the thing is, God wouldn't be God if he needed anything from us. If he couldn't accomplish his will without us, what kind of God would that be? If we, if me, if I was capable of bringing his work to a standstill by screwing up, how scary would that be? I'd be crushed by that kind of responsibility, that if I didn't do my job for God, everything would fall apart. I'd, I'd never be able to do anything. I wouldn't be able to stand up here because I'd be afraid of how my, my screw-ups would interfere with God's work. But because God's in control, I can trust Him that even if I do screw up, He can work it out. He's in control. Thank the Lord that He doesn't need me or any of us. He chooses to use me. But if I fail, he'll use someone else, or an angel, or a donkey, or he'll speak through a burning bush. If we don't praise him, the heavens will declare his glory. And though we all like to feel needed by the people around us and our family and our friends, I take comfort in the fact that God is completely in control and doesn't need me to help him run the universe. I can leave that in his hands. He's more than able to handle that. And I praise him for that. Now, if the first point of my message was to tell you that God doesn't need you, here's the second point. He wants you anyway. 
The pictures we looked at first were all scenarios where someone was both wanted and needed in one way or the other. Except this, God wants us even though he doesn't need us. And he wants us more than all those other signs and posters combined. Why does he want us so much? It's hard to understand. Because we're his creations. He made us for his glory. He made us to have fellowship with him. He desired that we exist and that we know him. But don't mistake that for God making us because he was lonely. That's an easy trap to fall into. We think of God as a person all by himself in heaven with no one to talk to, and we imagine that he made us because he was bored. But that's not how it is. He's not like us. He doesn't need someone to keep us company. And besides that, he's a trinity. He's three persons in one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are company enough for God, I think. But he made us anyway. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 17, where Jesus himself tells us about how God wants us. This is, of course, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a very well-known parable that is frequently used in reference. Part of me wanted to find a different section to talk about, one that we don't hear about so much. I thought that'd be cooler. I don't but when I thought about it, this is, the, this is the best place in Scripture to look at how God wants us, I think. Or one of them, certainly. It's an important message, and that's why people talk about it so much. We'll start in verse 17. When the son has already taken his inheritance early, left home and wasted it all on wild living, and he's gone to work for a farmer feeding pigs. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. God just wants us to come home to him. The prodigal son is a picture of us wandering around without God until we see that we need him. The father was watching and waiting. He saw him from a long way off. Do you think it's because he needed someone to work on his farm? You think the field hadn't got plowed in a couple years because his son was gone? And that's why he was so eager for him to return? No, the farmer found someone else to do that job. And he probably wasn't a very good worker in the first place. That job got filled while he was away. The farmer just wanted his son back. I think once, you know, this is a parable, so it's not like there were real people that have this, we know what happened after them or before, but... I think, you know, if we carried this story out, the farmer would probably find something for him to do after the celebration was over just because he wanted him near him, working on the farm together. 
would be a way for them to stay close. But he wasn't waiting for his son to get home because he had work for him to do. If either of my kids, you guys, were to move far away, whether to go to college, get a job, or maybe join the circus, <laughs> I, would, I would miss you boys terribly, let me just tell you right now. And I would be so excited when I got to see you again. But it wouldn't be, be because the whole time you were gone, I was at home saying, man, I really need them to come back and take out the recycling. <laughs> it's just piling up all over the place. There's cans everywhere. No, I'd, I'd do it myself. <laughs> That's what I would do. It wouldn't be out of needing them to come home that I'd be excited for like any job. It would be just out of wanting to see them. As much as I like to feel needed, it's even more special that God wants me, even though he doesn't need anything from me. Does that mean there's nothing for me to do? Not at all. Oh, I forgot to show you that. It's a nice picture of the father and the son. God has work for me to do, just like I was saying that the father probably would find something for his son to do. It's our privilege to be used by God to do the work he has for us. It's like this boy who is helping his father fix the car. Do you think the father needs his expertise on American motors or European ones? I don't know. <laughs> the boy isn't there because his help is needed. He's there because the father wants him there. Ephesians 2, 8-10 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our works certainly don't save us. God does. But God has prepared works for us to do, so there's a reason for them. By doing them, we get closer to Him. Just as this boy is spending quality time with his father, helping him on the car, we're spending quality time with God when we work for Him. While I gave you several examples of what God could do without us, the overwhelming majority of God's messages in the Bible are given by people, the prophets, and other servants. People like you and me that God has chosen to use even though we're disobedient, stubborn, and unreliable at times. Do you think God can't use you? Do you think you're unqualified? The Bible is full of unqualified people. I mean, most of Jesus' apostles were just fishermen, a tax collector, other various things. They weren't trained to tell people about God. God equips us to serve Him by His Holy Spirit. Do you think you're not good enough to serve Him? No one is. The Bible is very honest about the faults and sins of some of the greatest heroes of the faith. Just like we, we feel, if we feel we're not good enough, we can look to them and see... Well, God used them even though they did X, Y, and Z. It's quite clear that God wants to use us despite the conclusion we've already come to that He doesn't need us. He wants us to be involved with what He's doing here on earth. He uses us so that we can become more like Jesus and more ready to spend eternity with Him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
God will complete the good work in us, making us more and more like Jesus each day if we give him control of our lives and seek to serve him each day. Then by the time we get to heaven, we'll be every bit as useful as a talking donkey. <laughs> maybe, maybe even more. I don't know. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he wants us because he loves us. He loves us so much that he gave, came to earth as a man and died on a cross to save us. Romans 5.8 tells us how much God loves us and wants us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you think you're not good enough, while we, you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Maybe you feel like you've been getting in God's way, trying to be in control of your own life, doing your own thing instead of allowing him to use you to do his work. I feel that way sometimes. Or maybe you've come... Never, maybe you've never come to Jesus at all and given him control of your life. If that's the case, then you're like the prodigal son wandering around and needing to get back to your father. The good news is he's waiting for you. And it's not a long journey at all to get to him. God's only a prayer away waiting to hear from you, you. If that's you, you can simply cry out to him as we pray. And he'll come into your life and begin that good work in you that he's faithful to complete. If you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today, he will be. And you'll be rescued from sin and death and guaranteed a place in heaven that he's going to prepare for you because he wants you there. He doesn't need you there, but he wants you there so much. I want you there too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even though we're sinners, even though you don't need us at all, you want us. You want us so much that you came and you died for us and rose again. I pray that you would help us to see the good works you have prepared for us to do and that we'd be faithful servants, not because you need us to, but because you want us to. And that it's a gift and a privilege to be used by you. We want to be closer to you and we know that doing your work draws us closer. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would be able to see how much they need you desperately to save them, just as all of us here who have called on your name needed you to save us. If that's you, just pray along with me and receive what only Jesus can give, salvation and eternal life. Lord, I know you don't need me, but I need you. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust in your finished work on the cross, and I want to give you control of my life. Please be my Savior. Rescue me from sin and darkness. Change my heart and use me too. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.